Hi, welcome to Waterstone Sermon Podcast. We're so glad that you've tuned in to join us today to study God's Word. Here at Waterstone, we exist to help people become like Jesus and live for others. What this means practically is that we gather together as one body to seek God's heart for justice, to serve together, and to connect with one another as the body of Christ. We hope that you'll join us for one of our weekend services soon. We gather on Saturday nights at 5 p.m. and on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We look forward to meeting you in person, and we hope that you enjoy today's sermon. A reading from Luke, chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Good to be with all of you. So fun hearing about uh, resilience from Danielle and Luke and uh, just a lot of exciting things happening in water. So we had the IF gathering this weekend. Did anyone go to IF gathering? I know there was like 70, 80 women. Yeah, awesome. Heard it was great. Uh, My wife, Steffi, had a good time uh, there. And uh, yeah, just a a lot of exciting stuff. It's good to be with you and excited to continue our series today on hard sayings of Jesus. Uh, And if I'm honest with you today, this passage, uh, at face value, there's not a lot hard about it in that it's not really hard to understand what Jesus is saying. In fact, I would say it's pretty straightforward. Uh, It it may be a little hard to, to live what Jesus is saying. Uh, But when you get into this text, the the truth is that today the text is fairly simple. uh, And my message that I have for you is fairly simple as well. If you've been at church for any amount of time, I don't know that you're going to hear a ton of new stuff today. Uh, It might just be things that you've already heard. And it may be a chance for us to wrestle a little deeper with this question at the center of the text, which is, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Now, at Waterstone, we kind of define that idea of following Jesus with the statement you just heard. Larry say, become like Jesus and live for others. And if you have been around Waterstone for any amount of time, hopefully you've heard us say this. Is this the first time anyone has heard us say this phrase, become like Jesus and live for others? Okay, okay, one hand, that's okay. Uh, We're doing a pretty good job. Most of you have heard it. So good job, Larry. Good job, me, I think. Um, it's It's not a foreign concept or foreign idea. And when we say that we want to be a community of people who become like Jesus and live for others, that really means two things. The first thing is that we want to become like Jesus. It's the inward journey of transformation. It's the saving of our souls, the mending of our hearts, the shaping of our minds to look more like Jesus. When we look at the life of Jesus, we see someone who is incredibly gracious, and so we want to be gracious people. We see someone who was patient with others, and so we want to grow in patience and compassion. And we want to be a people filled with joy because Jesus was a person who was full of joy. And above all, we want to become people of love as we're transformed because Jesus was a person of love. 
But we don't just believe that, that that inward journey of transformation is simply for ourselves. It's not just to make our lives better or to maybe heal the broken parts of ourselves. Although it is for that, it's also to then take the journey outward. That we're transformed by what Jesus does in our lives so that we look outward to the world around us and join him in the restoration of broken things in the world. And so we want to be generous because Jesus was so generous. And we want to give to the poor and take care of those who might be in need. We, we, want, we want to be concerned about injustice because Jesus was a person who was concerned about injustice. We want to be a people of hospitality because Jesus was someone who always welcomed people at his table. And so it's this twofold journey, this journey inward towards ourselves and, and the healing that Jesus offers us, and then this journey outward towards joining Jesus in the healing of the world around us. That's our, our North Star as a community. That's, that's who we want to be. That's what we want to be about. That's, that's why we get up in the morning, is to become like Jesus and live for others. And the question I have for you today is, how is that going for you? We have some chuckles, right? <laughs> the, the question is, do you look more like Jesus today than you did yesterday? Do you look like a person who is more full of love than you were five years ago? Does, does your presence just resemble the joy of Jesus when you interact with other people? Uh, and put maybe a, a different way, when people encounter you, whether that's, you know, your spouse or your friends or the barista, do they experience the presence of Jesus? Does his presence just radiate from your being this love and joy and kindness and generosity? Is that what people encounter when they come in contact with you? If you're like me, as I've talked through some of that stuff, then you begin to feel what I, I call the gap. Uh, and I've talked about this before, but it's the gap that I begin to feel when I talk about becoming like Jesus and living for others. The, the gap between who I know Jesus has called me to be and who I actually am. And I begin to, to feel the gap every time I, I fight with my wife or I lose my temper with my kids. Or I, I feel the gap every time I talk poorly about a coworker. Uh, which never happens in the church, by the way. So I'm just using that as an example for you all because I'm sure you can relate, right? I feel that gap every time I look at my screen time at the end of the week and I think, oh my goodness, is that actually how I spent my time this week? I feel the gap between who Jesus has called me to be and, and who I actually am every time I, I realize that maybe caring for the poor, giving to those in need is, is more an idea I've thought about than something I actually live out in my life. The gap. Do you feel that? See, I, I think for some of us, the, the gap is the place where we want to follow Jesus. We want to give our life to him. We want to experience the benefits of what it means to follow him. But for some reason, we kind of feel stuck in this plateau, this space where, where it doesn't, our lives don't actually resemble what we know they're supposed to resemble as followers of Jesus. The gap. And if I'm honest with you, the, 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 I think many of us experience that gap. And it, it doesn't matter if, if you have maybe, you know, followed Jesus your entire life. 
I'm guessing there are places where you feel the gap between who Jesus has called you to be and who you actually are. Maybe for some of us, we're just, you know, looking to, to get back into the faith. We've understood a little bit about Jesus. We've spent time in church, but for whatever reason, we haven't really given it much time, and we're thinking about coming back and, and engaging with him and what it means to follow him. Or maybe we've never made that decision to follow Jesus. And, and I think wherever you might be on that journey today, because it is a journey, I think the words of Jesus will be incredibly challenging for each of us. And here's the problem with this sermon. Like I said, it's fairly simple. It's fairly basic. It's kind of back to the basics. But the, the challenge for me, honestly, as I thought through this text, is that there's not a lot of nuance that Jesus leaves in this text. I, I feel like I'm someone who, when I, when I want to preach, I, I often want to be comfortable with the gray and, and nuanced things. And I don't feel like I have permission to do that today. And so if you leave today and you feel like everything had a bow tied on it and everything was resolved and there's no tension in your life, then I have not faithfully preached this text. Because what Jesus calls us to, when he talks about following him, it should leave us in a state of tension. It should leave us in a place where we feel the gap between who Jesus has called us to be and who we actually are. And so I'm going to pray for us this morning, and we'll dive into the text. But I'm just going to ask that the Holy Spirit would, would speak to each of us in this space, uh, where we feel that gap between who we actually are and who Jesus has called us to be. So would you pray with me as we begin this morning? Heavenly Father, God, we come to you today. And uh, God, these words of Jesus... They're easy to understand, but not easy to follow. God, I think when we talk about the, the high bar that you set to, to be your disciple, to be a, a follower of Jesus, it's easy to go to a place where we begin to feel the gap, and, and we fill that space with shame or guilt God, we can maybe even hear a voice of condemnation that, that we are not enough or not doing enough or we need to try harder or give more effort. And, and God, I pray whatever happens today, that would not be the space that we're left in. Holy Father, your voice is not a voice of condemnation, but always uh, a voice of conviction. And so I pray that... Wherever we're at today on our journey with you, uh, for those in the room, for those joining us online, God, I just pray that, that your Holy Spirit would speak to each of us uh, individually and communally. That, God, we would uh, experience your presence in a tangible way. And, God, I, I just pray, I ask that whatever I say today, that, that my words would fall away, that it wouldn't be about what I have to say, but it would just be simply your word to us. And that, God, as we encounter the presence of Jesus in this story today, that, that you would call us to, to give ourselves more fully to you. And that we would hear that call. And that we would choose and decide to follow you. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. All right, so as we begin uh, this story, it's Luke chapter 9. Um, and Ben just read it for us. But it begins in verse 57. And it begins in this way. As Jesus and his disciples, as they were walking along the road, a man came up to Jesus and said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. 
Can, can you hear the enthusiasm in this prayer? Wherever you go, Jesus, whatever you do, whatever you call me to, I will follow you. I'm all in. I want to follow you. Can you hear almost the, the naive optimism in this man's voice as he comes? Anybody ever met someone who's just like completely naively optimistic? Do you know the people I'm talking about? If you don't know who I'm talking about, just talk to any Dallas Cowboys fan every September during training camp. And as a Dallas Cowboys fan, I can tell you that every single year we are completely naively optimistic. We look at the season, and this happens to me every year. I call my brother on the phone. He lives in Dallas, and we have this hour-long conversation about how this is going to be the year for the Cowboys. We got the right players. We got the right coach. We've got the thing figured out. Jerry's, like, gotten out of the way somehow. And, like, we are going to make it work. We are going to the Super Bowl. And then every single year, the exact same thing happens. They look really good kind of early on, and they kind of peak in December, and then they fall apart in the playoffs in glorious fashion. And I have to stop wearing all my Cowboys gear for like the entire summer because it's too embarrassing to be a Cowboys fan. And then something happens around like that August, September training camp space where I'm like, oh, yeah, we're going to do it this year. And that's been happening for 25 years. It just never stops. Naive optimism. Like we're just constantly like, yeah, it's going to work out. It's going to be fine. And it never is. I feel like that is a a glimpse of this person in this story. He is looking at Jesus. He sees Jesus. He sees all the incredible things Jesus has done, and he is all in. He's like, oh, this is it. This is what I want to give my life to. I am so excited to follow Jesus. It's all going to work out. It's all going to be great. Which makes Jesus' response to him a a little confusing because Jesus comes to him and and says this, that, that foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. See, this person comes to Jesus, and he is so optimistic. He wants to follow Jesus. And Jesus kind of tells him, time out, pause. Like, I hear you saying that, but do you know what you're actually saying to me? You see, I think this man comes to Jesus, and and he's saying that he wants to follow Jesus. He wants to chase after Jesus. But, But do you know what's been going on in the story of Luke leading up to this? It's this experience of Jesus where where people have seen Jesus show up in incredibly powerful ways. In fact, the few stories leading up to this man coming to Jesus and saying, I want to follow you, Jesus has has raised a dead girl back to life. He's healed a demon-possessed person. He's healed a sick woman. He's fed 5,000 people with a little boy's lunch. He has shown up in incredibly powerful ways. Who wouldn't want to follow Jesus? I mean, if Jesus can take a little Lunchable and feed 5,000 people, like, sign me up. That sounds amazing. You see, this man, he comes to Jesus, and he sees all the incredible miracles and all of the things Jesus does, and he thinks following Jesus is mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop experience. Of course he would want to follow Jesus. Following Jesus looks awesome. But Jesus' response to him is, is essentially a, a pause and a timeout on that way of thinking. And Jesus says, if you want to follow me, what I need you to understand is, is following me is not a, a mountaintop experience only. He, he's saying, if you follow me, if you truly give yourself to me, then I need you to understand that you will be metaphorically homeless in this world. 
Jesus isn't saying that you'll never have a home or a bed to sleep in. He is saying that you will always feel like you do not fit in. That that you do not have a place to call home in this world because my kingdom is from another world. He's saying to this man, the path of discipleship is a lonely road. It won't be a comfortable journey if you follow me. See, I think sometimes we come to Jesus and we have this this vague idea that following Jesus will be somehow like a mountaintop experience and that that following Jesus will be mountaintop to mountaintop where where we'll experience the good life. If we give ourselves to Jesus, if we choose to follow him, then, then somehow that means he will give us all of our dreams. That, that, that he'll interact with our lives in such a way where all of our dreams begin to come true and, and everything we've ever wanted. And we hear these amazing stories of what Jesus can do for people and we think, yeah, that, that's the stuff. I want more of that in my life. I, I want to see Jesus raise people from the dead. I want to see Jesus show up in miraculous ways. I want to be fed like the 5,000. I, I want to see my crazy uncle healed because he's probably demon-possessed. Like, I, I want Jesus to show up. And do amazing things in my life. And then we get into the faith. And we realize following Jesus isn't always mountaintop experiences. And we're disappointed because we've had this expectation of of following Jesus means climbing the mountaintop. but, But really following Jesus then becomes more of a journey of valleys. And there are mountaintops along the way. But but there are far more valleys than we anticipated. You see, I think many of us come to Jesus like this man, and, and we kind of want this non-committal, like, consumeristic faith. Where we think if we come to Jesus and we give him ourselves and we follow him, then Jesus will give us back everything our heart desires. I love the way Sky Jatani he captures this in his book, The Divine Commodity. And he says, my secret is that I want to be relevant and popular. I want my desires fulfilled and my pain minimized. I want a manageable relationship with an institution rather than messy relationships with real people. I want to be transformed into the image of Christ by showing up at entertaining events rather than through the hard work of discipline. I want to wear my faith on my sleeve and not look at the darkness in my heart. And above all, I want a controllable God. I want a divine commodity to do my will on earth as well as in heaven. You see, I I think what this man missed in coming to Jesus and saying so enthusiastically and so optimistically, I will follow you wherever you go, is is I'm guessing that you, like me, sometimes come to Jesus expecting him to, to do that for us, to be this divine commodity who helps all of our problems be solved and who makes our life better. And Jesus calls a a timeout on that line of thinking, and he says, hey, listen, following me is not the way to your most authentic self. Following me is not about just like your loneliness disappearing and your marriage being perfect and never having kids who misbehave and your career somewhere, how always having an upward trajectory that never ends because Jesus has just blessed your life. He's saying that that the calling to follow Jesus is not a calling to fulfill your dreams, but a call to follow him. You see, also leading up to this story, in the midst of these mountaintop experiences, in the midst of, of Jesus showing up in miraculous ways, do you know what else Jesus does in between these moments? 
is he says that he sets his face towards Jerusalem and towards the cross, knowing that he is going there to die. And then he calls people who want to follow him to pick up their cross and follow him as well. You see, Jesus is saying that, that, that following him is not about self-fulfillment. It's not about fulfilling your dreams. Following Jesus is about the way of self-denial. It's the place your dreams for your life go to die. That, that following Jesus is not about all of your dreams coming true. It's about you learning to give those parts of yourself up and surrender to Jesus and follow his ways. See, I think sometimes we live with this low-grade unhappiness in our faith because we're expecting faith in Jesus to do something that it was not intended to do. Does Jesus show up in our lives in, in miraculous ways? I believe yes. But there are so many times where it is a, a deep and dark valley between the mountaintop experience where following Jesus is far less glamorous than we maybe set out to follow him. So the, the question for us is, is where do we need to step into this way of self-denial? What does it look like to deny ourselves to follow Jesus? And like I said, uh, do you feel the tension yet? Do you feel the, the gap in these spaces? I heard a pastor say one time that if you want to, to shrink your church and to, to drive everyone away, just talk about following Jesus more deeply. And, uh, and we're only on statement number one. There's two more to go. So, so we're just like getting started. It's a hard sell in an age of self-fulfillment to choose the way of Jesus, which is the way of self-denial. So the story continues. And Jesus this time approaches a man, and he goes to this man, and he said to him, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. So as Jesus continues walking along the road with his disciples, he sees another man, and this time Jesus goes to him, and he approaches him, and he, he calls him to follow him, which what you have to understand about Jesus, this idea of following him, it's not like just following someone on Instagram so you can like them, right? Like following them is a, a way of devoting your life to them, giving your entire being to them, following so closely to them that you become like that person. And in fact, it's Jesus' most common command in all of the Gospels. He, he calls people to follow him, and he doesn't say, hey, believe in me or, or trust me. He doesn't say, ask me into your heart. He comes to people that he wants to be his disciples, and he says, follow me. Become like me. Learn my way of living. Step into the life of the kingdom where you can experience the fullness that my Father has for you. But again, it's a, it's a hard road. And so Jesus is inviting this man to live with him. But this man, he has a, a condition of following him. He says, first let me go back and bury my father. And, and Jesus responds in this incredibly compassionate way. He says, yeah, oh man, that's really tough. Taking care of your parents at the end of their life, that's hard stuff. Like, why don't you just go ahead and take care of that, and then you can come and follow. Jesus doesn't say that, does he? I mean, it sounds incredibly harsh. Jesus says to this person, just let the dead bury the dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. 
what is Jesus getting at? Does Jesus really say that if we want to follow him, like we can't attend funerals of those people we love? It's a little more in-depth than that. You see, what essentially this man is saying is that it's not that his parents or his father has died already. It's that he is waiting for that to happen so that he can have the inheritance that they will leave him. He's essentially saying to Jesus, I will follow you, but first let my parents die. Let me get my affairs in order. Let all the things fall into place. Let me get the inheritance. Let me become independently wealthy. Let me get the things I need, and then I will come and follow you. He's putting this condition on following Jesus. He says, but first, but before I get to you, but first, let me take care of the things in my life that I need to have in order before I come and follow after you. And Jesus essentially says, you can do that, but if you continually have a but first, a but first, a but first, then later never comes. You'll never get to the day where you're willing to follow me because you will always have things that come before me. And following me requires evaluating and rearranging your priorities. You can't have but first and come after me. I have to be the first priority in your life. Again, I love the way that, that John Mark Comer, a, a pastor, puts this. And, and this quote is actually not on the screen. I want you to just listen to it, hear it. Uh, there are parts of it that you may even find funny. But he says this, and I resonate with this so deeply. He says, I want to be generous and I want to be rich. I want to follow Jesus and to live like a Hollywood celebrity. I want character, but I don't want the suffering and perseverance that it takes to produce that character. I want humility, but I definitely don't want any form of humiliation. I want patience, but I don't want to actually wait. I want to be a person who is full of kindness, but I don't want anyone in my life who annoys me or agitates me. I want to hear God's voice and to experience his presence in my life, but I don't want to actually get up early in the morning and take the time to focus on prayer. I want the life of Jesus, but I don't want to take up the cross of Jesus. See, I think many of us, we come to Jesus and we want the life he offers, but we don't want to take up the cross that is required to follow him. And and so like the man in the story, when it comes to following Jesus, we waffle, we seesaw, we waver, and we say, I will get to that later. Jesus wouldn't actually ask me to rearrange my life, would he? he? He wouldn't actually ask me to make him first priority and shuffle the things in my life. You see, we, we want the life of Jesus, but we don't want to have to die. There's an often used illustration that I've heard a few different pastors say, and I actually don't even know who started it or where it came from or who, who found it first, but during the Crusades, where uh, there were people who were Christians and they were going from Europe into the Middle East to take back the promised land. And, and many times these soldiers who were about to go commit incredible violence and murder and all sorts of atrocities, they would be baptized before they went on that journey as a way of dedicating themselves to the Lord. Everything they were about to do, they were dedicating to the Lord. But one thing that they often did is they took their sword and as they were baptized, they held their sword out of the water. Essentially saying to Jesus, you can have all of me, but you can't have this. Like, like I'll give you most of me. I, I will choose to mostly follow you. 
but there's this one part of me that I choose to hold back. You can't have my violence or my actions or the things that I do with this sword. And it's easy to almost scoff at that, but, but you have to appreciate the honesty, right? I mean, if they're going to go do all of the things that a lot of people in the Crusades did, like, at least they were honest to say, like, yeah, this doesn't actually work with Jesus' lifestyle, so I'm going to keep it, but choose to follow him partially. But man, if you were to be baptized, even if you've already been baptized, if you were to be baptized today and we were about to open up the, the whole baptismal and we were just going to have a huge bath, what would you hold out of the water? What would be the thing in your life that you would say, yes, Jesus, you can have all of me, but not this. I'm going to hang on to this part of me a little longer. I'll get to it later. Make me good. Heal me in these areas. But, but this is something I don't want to give up yet. And what would that be for you? Would it be some relationship? I think for many of us, it would probably be our cell phones. Would it be some future financial goal that you're chasing after, hoping you can achieve, and once you get that, then you will follow Jesus more fully? See, what Jesus is essentially saying to this man is that, that he is refusing to rearrange his life around the priority of Jesus and his kingdom. He's not willing to be fully baptized into the way of Jesus. What is the area for you? that you are still holding back, that's keeping you from following the way of Jesus. And to really drive this point home, Jesus has a, another story and a, another interaction with a man starting in verse 61. Still another person came to Jesus and said, I, I will follow you, Lord, and he has the same condition, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. So, so a man approaches Jesus again, just like the first instance, and he says, I will follow you, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family, which let's be honest, that feels like a very reasonable request, right? Like if I'm about to leave on a long journey and I don't say goodbye to Steffi or let her know where I'm going, it's not going to go well for me. She's either going to be very concerned or very angry. Like why didn't you tell me you were leaving for a few days with a kid? Right? Like it's very normal to say if I'm leaving, I need to say goodbye to some people. And Jesus has this incredibly, you know, challenging response where he says, it doesn't even really make sense. A person asks if they can say goodbye to their family. They want to follow him. And Jesus starts talking about farming. It, it like makes no sense. He says, no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back at it is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Like, what? I just want to say goodbye. Like, I, I, am I, was I supposed to farm? Like, what? I don't understand, Jesus. And are you saying that, that, that if we follow you, we can never say, like, no goodbyes in the kingdom of God. Like, if you want to follow me, you can never say goodbye to anyone. And like, what is Jesus getting at? It can feel on the face of it this very confusing and, and kind of like clunky response from Jesus. But if you understand the, the place Jesus is pulling this illustration from, if you understand the story that, that he's kind of essentially hyperlinking to, it, it begins to make much more sense. And if you look in your Bibles, if you have them open, and especially if you have a study Bible, you'll, you'll see at that verse when Jesus talks about not like turning back when you're plowing with the ox, and, and there's a link and a text that it says that this verse comes from, from 1 Kings 19. And it's the story of a man named Elijah. 
Now, if you don't know who Elijah is, he was essentially a prophet in the Old Testament who stood up and spoke truth to power and challenged all of the the evil and corrupt leaders of his day. But Elijah's getting to the end of his ministry, and he needs someone who will take the mantle for him, who will continue his ministry after he's gone. And, And so in 1 Kings 19, he finds a man by the name of Elisha, Elijah and Elisha. And this is what happens in this story. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. And he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. And he himself was driving the 12th pair. And Elijah went to him and threw his cloak around him. Essentially, that was a a physical act of saying, come and follow after me. And Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. And listen to what he said. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye. And then I will come with you. And then Elijah replied, go back. What have I done to you to say you couldn't do this? And so Elisha left him and went back. And he took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Do you see the parallels? What is Jesus trying to to pull from this story? He's not saying that you can't go back and say goodbye to your family. Essentially, what Jesus is saying is that if you are prepared to follow me, then you need to be ready and willing to burn all of your bridges. Anything that you have left in the life behind following me, you need to understand that that it's not about just following me and and keeping one foot like, if it doesn't work out with Jesus, then at least I have something to fall back on. Elisha, when he chooses to follow Elijah, he burns the plow and he kills the ox. There is nothing for him to fall back on. He, he is all in and committed to following his master. Jesus is essentially telling us at the, the close of this story that if you want to follow me, there is no turning back. Following Jesus, there is no turning back. There is no looking behind you and maybe falling back on something. There's no like partial in with Jesus and partially waiting for something else better to come along. Jesus is saying that that essentially half-hearted following of him will not produce the life that he is offering you. See, if we feel the gap in our faith, the gap between who Jesus has called us to be and who we actually are, I do not think the problem is with the master. I wonder if for many of us we feel that gap because we have turned back or we have not gone fully in. We have kept ourselves from the life of self-denial. We haven't rearranged our priorities. We want Jesus and So I don't know what that might look like for you today. What I do know is that following Jesus, that is an invitation that is for everyone. Everyone is welcome and invited to follow Jesus, but that invitation will cost you everything. And if you're somehow sitting in the place where where you still expect to be able to follow Jesus and then get your best life now, Jesus is saying that it will not produce the life that you are looking for. And that can feel really overwhelming, can't it? Like, oh my gosh, there's so many things. Like, where do I start? What do I... Here's the beautiful thing about this story. 
In fact, every time in Luke's gospel when he talks about following Jesus and giving ourselves more fully to him and becoming disciples, he always begins the story like he did in this one. And he says, as they were on the road walking with Jesus. It's essentially his clue into this idea that the discipleship is a journey. That that there's always more for us to to give up to follow Jesus. There's always somewhere else for us to press in a little more deeply. There's always something else for us to choose to follow Jesus in. That, That following Jesus is essentially continually falling forward as we pursue and chase after him. It's giving up the but first and and making him our first priority, but that is a lifelong journey that we never fully arrive in. And and I could maybe tell some story or have some illustration of how to just kind of like bring this home for you, but the truth is that that whatever is going on in your heart right now is between you and the Holy Spirit, and there are a, a thousand different ways that we could apply this teaching. And so as we close today, I'm I'm essentially gonna leave space for you to have a conversation with Jesus. What are the places where you maybe need to lean in to self-denial? Where are the places where maybe you need to rearrange the priorities in your life and give yourself more fully to Jesus? That what are the but firsts? Where is Jesus calling you to, to stop turning back? My, my guess is that all of those places, they're as unique as your story and walk with Jesus. And so as we close, take the opportunity to sit in that tension, to to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you about that gap. Where are the areas that Jesus is calling you today to follow him more fully? What would it look like for you to step into that faith and, and not feel the gap, but to experience more deeply the life Jesus has on offer, the life that we're all longing for, but we're somehow missing out on because we keep holding back. What would it look like to say today, Jesus, I'm yours? I'll leave you with that, and then in a moment we can respond and worship in whichever way you feel appropriate.